This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over 2 billion people visiting it every day. But what's it like actually working there? I talked with design program manager Marcy Quintana to find out. I think that I love working here because we're such a global company, you know, just making sure that we're empathetic towards people and really understanding all different perspectives, really the culture of giving and receiving feedback. I think all of those things really make Facebook an amazing place to work. It's more of like the values, I think, than anything else that uh, really make me love working here. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, HCSC Blue Cross Blue Shield is looking for the following positions in Chicago. Technology Application Architect, Senior Program Manager, Assistant IT Product Manager, Business Analyst, and Senior XP Programmer. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. If your New Year's resolution is learning to code, then look no further. Glitch provides you with a platform to easily start creating anything from a simple website to a Slack bot to a web app using Node.js. This week on Glitch, we're talking about open source licensing and transparency. Of course, those are two very important topics. So make sure you go check them out and get started creating something today at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. It's a new year, it's 2018, that means it's a great time to work on your email marketing efforts. Let MailChimp's pre-built marketing automation help you out there. Automations are like a second brain for your business, and they can do all the heavy lifting for your email marketing efforts so you can focus on what's really important, your business. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional business or enterprise projects. You need cloud hosting or a dedicated server? SiteGround's got you covered. Are you hosting WordPress, Drupal, Magenta, or Joomla? They can handle that too. And with award-winning customer support and amazing uptime, you don't have to worry about hosting issues at all. Get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path, and you can get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. This is our 225th episode. And I'm talking to industrial designer and furniture designer, Jomo Tariku. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I am Jomo Tariku. I'm a furniture designer. In the evenings, I, I pursue my passion in designing African-themed furniture. And during the daytime, I'm actually a, a data scientist at the World Bank. Now, I definitely want to talk about this furniture. I mean, I've... I've seen your work. It's it's really dope furniture. I'm, I'm gonna put links in the I'll put links in the show notes so people that are listening can can go and check it Thank out. You. But before we go into that though, 
Kind of walk me through a, a typical day. I'm, I'm interested to know what you do. I am definitely one of those people who rarely sleeps. Uh, this is a long-standing complaint <laughs> by my wife. <laughs> I pretty much get up 4.10. I'm up, uh, ready to go to work, catch the uh, metro to go to my day job. At 5, I'm by my desk at 5.45. At 4 o'clock, I leave work, get my two sons to do their um, participate in any uh, after-school-related thing, including homework, maybe up to 8. From 8 to midnight is uh, furniture time. So in weekends, the same thing. I get family things taken care of first, and I'm either at the, uh, at the shop that I go to or I'll be designing new stuff updating my webpage and doing more of what I, I really am passionate about. Let's go back to, to Ethiopia. You're originally from Ethiopia. Yes. Tell me what it was like growing up there. Did you have a, a really creative childhood? I mean, yes and no, because my definitely my uncle, one of them was an architect on my mom's side. So I, I feel like we have the genes coming in from the family on that side at least. I was never completely discouraged from doing drawings or sketches, but it was not like it was encouraged either. Schools don't encourage it much throughout my school year. I think art school or teaching art in uh, the, the private school I went to stopped around sixth or eighth grade. It was considered a hobby. Design, I don't even remember. Other than architecture, I have never heard of growing up what industrial design is. So, but lucky for me in 10th grade, my dad worrying that we've reached that teenage years where teenage kids get in trouble, decided <laughs> pretty much to go and have like an apprenticeship type of thing at a very, very, very small local wood shop which for uh, me and my younger brother, who's only a year and two months apart, said this is the greatest thing ever. The main reason being my dad was extremely strict and didn't let us leave the house. So it was mm -hmm. a reason to leave the house and not really about getting uh, learning how to do furniture design. But once we got in, and so what this guy who owned the shop was able to do from maybe about two or three machines, wood turning machine, a bandsaw, and a sanding belt. That's about it. It was just impressive amount of work that came out, out of that little shop. Mm -hmm. So I, I think looking back, because I did walk away from that uh, when I went to college, but I, I really believe that kind of started where I am right now. The other thing is my dad was in the habit of wherever he went, whatever African country he visited, he always brought back souvenirs, tools tables, whatever he can get on a plane, mm -hmm. he brought it back. And when bored at home, these were the things I sketched, you know, and I kept looking at it and say, these are beautiful things to draw. So, you know, multiple things like this is what got me fascinated about what I'm doing now and what I'm pursuing seriously at this age. You know, I find it so interesting how when we're we're kids, we are so immersed in, I guess you would call it design, but like design and art, like we, we draw, we sketch, we color, we paint, you know, we're immersed in all these things. And yet the older we get as we progress through our education, it feels like that gets, you know, kind of decreased year by year by year. And it makes me wonder, is that why more people aren't pursuing design? Because as they get older, it just becomes less of a, an option for them as they go through their, you know, kind of primary education. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I mean, growing up, you know, the goal for my parents is be an engineer, be a doctor. Mm -hmm. I think when a parent invests in their kid and their kid's learning, it rarely crosses. Uh, at least I come from a developing country. I came from a poor country. So I totally understand my parents' perspective of, hey, we're whatever we have, we're putting it in you. We're sending you to the few private schools in, in Addis where I grew up. What I want out of you in return is go learn what we know makes money. Right. And there is a <laughs> – even here there is that misconception. You as a designer, as an artist, you cannot make a living out of it. Yeah. So it's how you are passionate and how you pursue your career in design, I think, if it is fulfilling to you, I think there's always a way to make a living out of it, especially these days. 
I really believe years ago, maybe it, that's that's not what they saw growing up, and that affected their view. But now, with all the social channels on how how you can promote, how you can show, how you can get involved with others, partner with others, I really believe this is the right time for the blossoming of, you know, the the artist that suffers in the corner and never gets the limelight. I mean, thanks to Instagram, I have found. Shows that I'm attending, the, the one I'm actually attending, uh, my two furniture pieces that are being shown today in Lagos, uh, Nigeria, is because of someone I met online, on, really? on, uh, on Instagram. Yes. Nice. I don't know them. I never met them. But the curator I met is the one who, uh, we Instagram, we clicked. She saw my work. You know, we started following each other, and she told me about this event. So... Maybe reading my bio, you might have noticed, this is my second attempt. I've tried to do the same furniture, African furniture-themed products and chairs and tables and all it, between 2000 and 2008. I had mm-hmm. zero impact, I can literally say. Let's go back to that time, because I, I do remember you, when I read your bio, that you took a bit of a hiatus between, like you said, those years and now. Talk about when you kind of first started up with, with doing furniture design. So uh, I, I hope I'm not going too far, but when I was in, in college and uh, pretty much a professor convinced me not to go through the uh, fine arts route and to look into industrial design, which I have never heard of in my life, I researched it, loved it, and that's what I picked. In my fourth year in college, a professor called Janice Smith was hired by University of Kansas where I attended, and she was a furniture designer. And back then, I was looking back and saying, look, I'm not an American citizen. I'm not staying in the U.S. When my visa expires, I have to go back home. Mm-hmm. So I better have, like other industrial design thesis classmates of mine, I was not worried about doing some uh, electronic-related design, you know, a, a touchpad or something, which was brand new back then, or was being conceptualized, let alone an iPad existing. So what I said was, Furniture is something I can take. My childhood showed me from a small shop with good design, you can go even further. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do my thesis in African furniture. Uh, two years earlier, I started taking as many African history classes to to start appreciating and just soaking in myself into what other cultures other than Ethiopia and what I've seen in my in my living room growing up. Outside of that, I wanted to experience that. So I, I took as much of these classes as possible, prepared myself for thesis, and did a, l- a whole line of furniture pieces that we ended up showing in my uh, finals. Mm-hmm. So after that, there was a, also, again, another lag because, again, the same problematic work permit not being an issue, I didn't do much other than you know, my brother uh, luckily bought me more shop tools. I didn't have any money. Uh, he was the one with a job. So we put it in the small garage we had back in Kansas. Uh, we started prototyping these ideas and sketching them, sketching, prototyping, and all this. And at, at some point, the through a lawyer, we I got my uh, my national interest waiver, which is pretty much saying this type of skill is needed in the U.S. No one else is doing it. You're doing it. Thank you. Here you go as your green card. So that literally opened the door for me to do the thing we attempted between 2000 and 2008. And we developed a whole line. We I collaborated with other designers. We came up with the additional new design. We took it to the Architectural Advisor Show, I think, in 2003. It was, showing on, it was shown on Fine Living Channel. But there was no impact to it. It is back then I didn't have Facebook. I guess later on Facebook showed up, but no Facebook, no social channels. Uh, we I didn't do apprenticeship in America. I didn't do internship. This is, was all I was in the dark learning everything the way I thought it should be done. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand PR. I didn't understand marketing pretty well even though I did graphic design for others. How do you approach writers? How do you approach magazines and because through a, if a magazine doesn't show your work you're pretty much done or you're local so all these things just piled on in 2008 the whole economy crashing and our graphic design business which was by the way supporting the furniture design one because the furniture wasn't making money at all that collapsed too so we we had to close 
that I used to do graphic design work for for the World Bank, and you know uh, I was fortunate enough by them to be offered a project, which ended up hiring me, and I'm still working in the same department. That, but to make it a bit shorter, then I a book author from London looked up my stuff, searched for me for an extended period. I was not even looking at my old email. I just walk in and delete them every now and then. And she said, I've been looking for you because we're doing a book on African design and you're one of the people we want to profile. It was like, for me, a reawakening. And that's that was, I think, 2015. I'm saying, I haven't done anything in seven years other than maybe sketches and a few 3D stuff. So that pretty much triggered this journey I'm on right now where it's just amazing. Yes, it's a struggle. I barely sleep is the only complaint. But <laughs> the rest of it is is just, you know, yes, it's maybe 20 years late coming. But what I'm seeing in my career and how people react to it when I go to trade shows or events, you can't buy that. It's, it's yeah. just a, a fascinating journey that I'm on right now. Do you feel that it was important for you to take that break between 2008 and 2015? I take life with what is dished to you, at least after now. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, I would say. I think maybe I need to step away. I needed to mature. I needed to mature in a way how is business run. How is business run in a way with less impact? Is it better to keep a day job to make sure this thing takes off? There is... Definitely a funding issue. Uh, getting FaceTime with the media is a huge issue still, but I'm getting there. I see a change. I see when I go to ICFF and an interior design editor walks by me and does a double take and come back and say, oh, wow, what is this? Yeah. And you get picked as one of the 10 interesting things at ICFF 2017. So I say, now the timing is right. Maybe I would have been in the same spot. 10 years ago, and the same editor could be passing by and never give me a, you know, a second look. Mm-hmm. So I, I think where I struggle with now is how do I make it to these shows? They're not, you know, they're expensive. There, is, there are a lot of things you have to do before you even get to a show. But I'm getting decent amount of invites right now. My biggest worry 10 years ago of not even making it to a show is not the hugest concern. I have other concerns. So I think when everything adds up, I'm hoping it will work out. It feels like it is. Sometimes I'm, I want to be two steps ahead, but I have to hold myself back and say, you are where you should be. Just rework this thing, whatever the mm-hmm. issue is. So I'm, I, I am pretty satisfied where I am and how things are happening. I think it's important that you brought that point up about funding. That's something that I've discussed with several people on the show before about how, you know, we'll have these great creative projects that we want to do, but it takes money to get them off the ground. You know, it's one thing to have community support and people liking something on Facebook or retweeting something on Twitter, but you need money to actually, like you said, get to shows to, to probably purchase materials and a studio space and things actually create what it is that you need to kind of keep this, uh, as a sustaining thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And one, again, one of the great things now versus when I tried it is, for example, I go to a shop called uh, Tech Shop, which is like a, you know, a, a membership shop. Mm-hmm. And these type of things are popping up like everywhere. And for the amount I pay and what I get out of it for building my prototypes <laughs> is just amazing. So I don't have a studio. If you, if you ask me, should I have done a studio? Because we did have an office space, a studio space between the, the first try, 2000, 2008. It was an overhead. An overhead yeah. that have been avoided. And I yeah. should have avoided it. So now what do I do? I work in my basement. Sometimes I feel bad for the amount of prototypes I have in my basement in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a, I have a loving wife who will let me do pretty much anything because I've got things everywhere. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> It's like a, a small bazaar here because you have 10 or whatever type of pieces everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, well, shout out to her for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I meant to laughs> that. <laughs> so 
there are things uh, overhead-wise I've reduced. I have a wonderful younger brother who believes in what I do, but at some point he was also saying, Jomo has an expensive hobby whenever I was up to something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on the second phase, I have his support. He's helping me out as much as possible. I have all the creative independence to do whatever I think. I don't know how long that will last, but he has he's been like 100% behind me making sure things happen. So, you know, most designers might not be fortunate to have this experience uh, and might have to go the crowdfunding way or, again, out of your pocket. I do spend a decent amount out of my pocket also, but funding is an issue. And I, for example, right now I'm looking into licensing and all. If you want to do licensing, there's upfront cost for all the people that need to help you out. I don't yeah. mind paying because they're also service providers just like me or like other creatives. It's just that we have to consider all of these things. And sometimes you look at your book and you say, wow, if I need to get this licensed, and this is a big if, this is the amount of money I need to invest and who are the believers behind me. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's where, again, the, the social connections help. You might have noticed my Instagram page. I'm always constantly populating it with new design. And most of them are 3D right now. But one way I see it is if I don't show the potential people that can work with me in the future how good I am and have this concept of where most of my friends tell me, Jomo, why do you keep publishing this stuff? People will steal it. It's, it's either I hoard everything and no one sees what I have or either expose it and take that risk and mm -hmm. say, hey, I've got this cool stuff. And I really believe the I'm getting closer and closer where the dam is about to break because of some of the responses and emails I get from people and the meetings I have and the potential shows, which right now I can't disclose, but in 2018 will happen. So it, it's a matter of balancing, watching your pocketbook. I have really learned <laughs> how easily you can get in debt through my first trial. I really, really believe this is where most of us designers uh, make a huge mistake Sometimes we feel like we don't charge enough. Most of the time, actually, we don't charge enough. We like doing too many favors for friends in the hopes that we'll get something back. It, so all of these things need to be balanced, especially when you have a family, kids to raise, taxes to pay and all and all. So uh, it's a matter of balance and knowing what your future is and just plan your three to five year strategy and just stay on it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's, it's something where, you know, I know that there's this kind of prevailing thing with black entrepreneurs about there's always the hustle of starting, but you rarely see things about how to make what you're doing sustainable. Yeah. I was, I was actually just talking with someone about this the other day. She just started freelancing, just doing like, like graphic design, web design, freelancing. Mm -hmm. And it was easy for her to get out there and, you know, like obtain the certificate from the state to register as an actual business and all that stuff. Yes. But then. It's like when it came to accounting and finances and how to set all that up, you know, there's really, I'm not saying that there aren't resources out there, but it's, it's not easy for us to kind of get into this sort of thing and know how to sort of charge what we're worth and, and yeah. really make sure that what we're building is not only, you know, good for us as creatives, but also will make it sustainable. Yes. Or you can do what I did, which is marry an accountant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or you can go that route. That's true. You you went, you went the, a good route there. That works. Yeah. Kidding aside, though, um, <laughs> sustainability is when we're young, I think there's that. The thing we were talking about maturity earlier, I think when we're young, we really think we're the undefeatable. We are, you know, number yeah. one and all of this. People are going to like my stuff. We are sometimes in a vacuum of thinking that we're the only shining star out there. Mm -hmm. And we're not. So you're in a competition. I am in a competition. I am not the only one doing this stuff. There are people way ahead of me, much younger than me. And so it's a matter of planning. I spend a lot of time planning. I, I don't know if you know the app called Trello. I log everything I research. I go review it after a few months, every week, depending what it is. I am a research junkie. If I'm not sketching, I'm researching my competition. I'm researching the trend. 
I'm researching what people are looking forward to, what has passed us, and all of these things. So I am extremely focused at this stage of my age. If it is possible at all for a younger designer is to think about, there was a video I was watching on Facebook yesterday about a guy talking about what you do after your teenage years and after 60. And he Mm -hmm. said the most important years are actually the ones between those. And you should focus on that and don't take it easily and make sure you, you plan it well and enjoy it. If you can't enjoy that, to expect to enjoy your retirement is like you've lost a big chunk of your life. And I think yeah. we should approach our life, our career, and something like that. And we really, really need to plan. I think, be it whether you're a minority designer or not, I think this is most creatives, this is where we fail. It's the business part. It's not because we're not creative. Gee, I mean, people do some amazing stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But we end up going to either abandoning it completely and going you know, to, to some other job that can pay you eight to five. So at planning, planning is, plays a huge role. Have a team member that believes in your dream. For me right now, I have my wife and my brother next to me. When we did it between 2000 and 2008, I had my uh, best friend from childhood. We went through high school together. We tried this business together. He actually quit a very good job from GE to do this. So you need a believer like that next to you. I know it didn't work the first time, but you know what is life without risk? But planning and learning from others, Do if you're a young person, please do your internship before you jump in into your own business. Do your apprenticeship if you are into furniture design. I, if there was one thing I would redo if I was younger would be I would have done an apprenticeship with some furniture company. Mm-hmm. If it was not for all this immigration stuff I was running into until 2000 or 98. So I would encourage don't skip on those. Those are life experiences. You'll meet amazing people if you do internships uh, or else you take the risk like me, some will be lucky and, you know, but I, I feel most of us will make it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would also kind of add to that, you know, if you're someone that's listening that has a company or, or a studio or something like that, offer an internship, yes. you know, offer something where these, these kinds of opportunities are available because, you know, the job search out there is rough is and there? even the entry level jobs want you to come in with, such an immense amount of experience right off the bat that it can be really, (laughs) yeah. And it can be really daunting if you may not come up to that, but you still know that you're a hard worker and, and you can at least try to, you know, use your skill or your craft to some sort of degree. But if you have a business or something, even if it's just smaller tasks, something where you can have someone that is coming up in this industry, learn from you, see what you're doing, you know, even just having those kinds of opportunities, I think is really, really really important. I agree. I completely agree. So you said that, you know, you had, you know, when you were a kid, you had this apprenticeship with this local wood shop and that your your father was bringing back these souvenirs from his travels. Why specifically did you decide to go into designing furniture? I mean, other than, you know, earlier, I kind of mentioned that furniture professor being hired at, at, at University of Kansas and me saying the thing I can take back home because we're not an industrialized uh, country. And this mm-hmm. was, I graduated in 93. So one of the ideas is I, I can take back this knowledge I've gained through two years of just focusing on furniture to Ethiopia, then work my way back into introducing it into the larger market. So that was my thinking at least when I did that. But, you know, after I graduated, I said, I, I'm, I know I'm not going back home. I'm going to stay here for multiple reasons. I mean, the kind of my country back then was going through civil war. There were other family and other issues that I, I couldn't get back. But once I focused on furniture, doing my thesis, and I did a whole bunch of research, you couldn't do a research like you can in 93, like you can do it right now. But I spent a lot of time in the art, uh, art and design library, mm-hmm. trying to see who is doing modern African furniture. You know, yes, I love my African stool. I love my African sculptures and, you know, wood carvings that I'm hanging, the masks and all. But I was saying to myself, 
is there like a full set of African furniture? If I walk in into a store, I can just grab and go and say, I have my African themed living room now. Like I would say, if I go to a, to a Scandinavian or Italian store and say the same. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anything. And I said, aha, thesis was all about discovering something new. And I said, how about doing something about this? Since no one is doing it. So it, it really started, the, the birth of this whole idea started in college. It is just surprising. 20 years later, I'm still pursuing to make it a reality. In the meantime, though, especially since 2000, there's been multiple designers who have probably thought the same way as me and have been working on the same idea. So I'm glad we're a bit more robust, but I would say there's not more than 10 of us focusing on this idea. I've been looking at it and there's only a few of us working on this and even fewer, maybe about three who've been able to license their work. So it's manufactured by companies, uh, mostly, I think, European companies. Now, you did an interview with Design and Daba, and you said that the modern furniture industry treats African furniture as something of a novelty. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, it's, uh, the way I see it is like, oh, I want to have my uh, little African mask here. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just, it's never, I feel like we're never even taken seriously. Is is that one piece that could just, or the two or the three, but you don't, you say, oh, this is, this looks cute or something. And then I'm saying we're more robust than that. We need resources for the people who practice in this area. You give them the chance and you will see a new blossoming of things coming up, of a whole new furniture line just coming out of nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say nowhere, but I really believe we're at the epiphany of this thing. And so this, the way you look at it saying, oh, uh, let me get me my little ethnic furniture that I can hang in my corner. And I'm saying, you can have a whole house of this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to make a bigger impact when this thing goes, starts just rocketing like, you know, you've never seen it before. I really believe that. I really, I see it when I, like I was saying earlier, I would go to shows and I see the reaction of, and I've been to Dubai, I've been uh, fortunate enough to show my work in Venice. So, and I get these calls sometimes, I say, wow, I haven't seen anyone doing like this, or you guys are like three or four of you doing this. So I think we're going to get away from this, oh, let me get me a souvenir thing to being a, a, a real product that you can buy and experience in your home mm-hmm. as household products. And I really see uh, things spinning off from that, like having dinnerware, and there are already people doing that. But I'm going to see, I, th- I really believe we're going to see complementary products. So, you know how design and style is, you, you go through cycles, you know, maybe classical design is popular right now, or mid-century, for example, is very popular right now, which is pretty much on Scandinavian furniture. But that's going to fade out at one point. But when it circles back, you don't see African furniture in that category. Mm-hmm. It's always, you know, the modern, the contemporary, the, the minimalism of things, the retro, the gilded, the Italian. So when we do the cycle again, you know, yeah, I'll be gone and dead by then, but I want that bullet point sitting right there. So we're not a souvenir that you use, you hang, you throw away one day. You're here to stay. You are a collector's item. When there is auction, you are one of them. Because right now, if you go to any mid-century thing, they're at auction. Chairs that people bought maybe like $300 years ago are selling for forty, fifty thousand. 50000 Those are mm-hmm. not souvenirs. Those are design icons. That's why they're paying for them. I don't begrudge them. But I, I, as a designer, what I'm working on, I want it to have a long life after I'm gone. And I really believe with such a rich culture out of, you know, 54 countries from Africa to, oh, yeah. to gain knowledge from, to learn, be proud of it. I'm very proud of my ancestors' work. And that doesn't mean Ethiopia only. I'm talking about Africa in general. Okay, and the, one of the reasons is I, I think is downplayed, and I'm saying we're up to par. Mm-hmm. We're no less, but we, be it 
African or non-African designers highlighting it, I think is a good thing. But I want African designers to take advantage of what they grew up with. This is yeah. like breathing air to us. You know, <laughs> I, I go to Addis every now and then and I see architecture that's just mind-numbingly painful to look at because we're trying to adapt to what is in Dubai. Mm. And I look at, you know, David Adeje's National Museum of African American History Museum, and I say, this is beautiful. You see when it's well done? Everyone yeah. likes it, even though there were a lot of critics before it was up. But yeah, I pass by it a lot when I go to D.C. And it's just, for my kids growing up in America, for me, it's a very enjoyable thing to watch. It's, it's, it's an experience each time. So I want furniture to reach that stage. I am so glad architecture is getting there. There's still a lot of work on that one. And there are yeah. amazing architects actually practicing in Africa who are doing this. So I, I don't want to downplay that. But I, I think there's so much room to improve and actually to make an impact that it doesn't have to be only in Africa you see these things. Why not here? That's why we love this new museum. Other than what it, the history it has in it, just the design-wise, you don't yeah. have to like what, what he considered African design because it's just beautiful to look at. And I want people to look at that. I don't want them to always say, oh, it's African. No, you don't yeah. have to. You like it because it's nice and unique and you like to have it. Well, it sounds like what certainly needs to happen is just more exposure and more education about African design. and Because, and, I mean, we're, we're saying African design, but we're painting, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but we're kind of painting you know, the entire continent with a broad brush because the culture differs, you know, from country to country. I, and I like, even when I see things here in the U.S. that are are like, quote unquote, African design, it's usually just around like cloth and textiles and and tapestry, but not so much around construction. I think what, what, I, what you're talking about with the National Museum of African-American History and Culture is like a really large scale example of how African design can be shown in a you know very contemporary way while still pulling from yes. from your culture. Now, because you've you know had the opportunity to kind of exhibit and, and show your work all over the world, you know, you mentioned Venice, you mentioned Dubai, you've also exhibited here in the US. Do you find that the furniture design scene is different overseas than it is here? I really believe so. Not in a negative way. It could be maybe here we're bombarded with you know so many I don't want to call them distractions. But we're overwhelmed with things. And so my very first experience actually showing my uh, prototype was, was Dubai. And my expectation is what, what, I, what I experienced in the U.S. Be, so this was prior to the ICFF. So the impact it had on me and how people reacted to it, uh, it really reaffirmed that thing that said, Jomo, you're working on something unique you should not go back and bench this another eight years. You should mm -hmm. put all the force behind it. One great thing I'm really noticing globally is I'm sure you've seen these design festivals that every city is getting involved to. I shouldn't say every city, but people who are design-oriented are encouraging their cities to get these things started. I would yeah. love it if Washington, D.C. would do something like that because there's a lot of designers here too. But what that has done is, I think, is really circumvented the traditional way of exposing your work on the stage. Yes, you can do social channels, but, you know, furniture, if you don't touch it, what is it? So to a point, social channels are great. But these design festivals, for example, I got invited to the design festival in Dubai. There's no way if they didn't invite me, I could, I could afford it. I got invited because I participated in a design festival in my home country. And that festival got, they have a relationship between each festival, which they invite each other. So I got that opportunity to go show. That mm -hmm. opened up Venice. And the others started, ICFF approached us in Dubai. And what I pretty much told them, they were trying to sell me floor space. And I told them, look, I can't pay you this amount you're asking me. I don't have that kind of money. If I had it, it would be spent on prototypes and fabrication. I wouldn't be paying it for floor space. I want to come to ICFF. I have attended it eight years in a row between 2000 and 2008. But there's just no way 
people like me as a small black designer who can afford this. So what I convinced them, I convinced the person, and I'm so glad she came back and said, okay, is invite this festival. Invite us. What your attendees will see is something they've never seen before. Okay? You can't beat that. You can't buy that. And that was proven when, uh, you know, Interior Design Magazine picked me one out of, I don't know, maybe there were, I think, 300 uh, booths, about 300 or something booths out there. So to be picked out of that, to be considered, you know, one of the unique things shown at ICFF, I think is great. And and the reason, I think, shows like ICFF or the traditional trade shows are built are being affected in the design world is the design festivals are just breaking the mold saying, hey, one guy designer or the basement designer or the guy who only does one chair, you're welcome at our festival. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, we might have some curating process, you have to submit, but you pay some minimal fee with the help of the city like New York or something, we'll do major marketing, we'll try to drive traffic, and you can get discovered. That is such a totally different model than the one I did previously, where the show floor comes at five to $10,000 for three days. You're not even sure about your impact other than the cards you collect at these trade shows, and it just you know, it goes away. So I, the technology in a way has affected our, the way we market, how you approach people, how you connect with people and how you can expand your, you know, I mean, how you can change how you show things. And I, I'm, I'm very happy with what I'm seeing these days than what, what was happening years ago. I want to talk about one of your, your pieces. I, I, I'm I'm calling this your signature piece because I feel like I see this a lot with your work, but you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Uh-huh. It's uh it's the birth chair too. Yeah, well, I, I want to hear about the story behind that. So uh, my uh, one of my uh, previous uh, partners in design had a version. That's why mine is two. Hers is one. Okay. Uh, hers was based on really the traditional birthing chair. It, it's a chair with straight two pieces of lumber. Uh, the seat part really goes through the backrest part. There's absolutely no hardware involved. It's actually comfortable to sit on. And so I looked at it and said, what can I do? This is like, you say African chair, this is the epitome of an African chair. You know, mm-hmm. but what is the twist I can bring to this? So in, in a way, I flipped it around. My backrest actually goes through the seat. Okay. And, and and the opportunity it gave me is I've never seen this uh, other I have never seen other designers do what I did, which is you can have replaceable backrests. You can switch it, you can flip it around, you can take that that backrest that has all these patterns that I've developed. I have about a hundred of them uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang it on the wall, make it a freestanding like a totem. That I am looking at this and saying I really believe I've created something unique where. You bring in a chair that stays like that and unless you, you do the cushioning all over again because you've worn it down. But that's about the change you're going to see. You're not going to see constant change on a chair if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a party and you want to liven it up. I have one version that where you can tie uh, African scarves on it. So wh- what I brought to a simple chair is modularity. And all of this done without absolutely no hardware. It only takes you two seconds to flip it around. You can always add more backrests if you want. You can, the, the idea, one of the ideas I have is, for example, you have a pattern, you're an interior designer. Well, let's say you don't like the patterns I developed. You want that to be part of the backrest. We can see and see that on that. So I really believe I've brought a, a unique twist on what people are used to about chair design. Now, does it need refinement? Yes, I'm playing with the ergonomics always. I, the one I just sent to Lagos is, I believe, my 10th version. Wow. So uh, it's getting there. There are things that I've redesigned right now and I should have available in 2018. Once I resolve all of these things, is, uh, right now we're uh, dealing with fabrication issues and hopefully all of these ideas that I keep posting on Instagram will come alive in 2018. Well, I'll make sure that we put a link in the show notes so people can really check it out. It's a really, really lovely chair. And I like that 
that modularity aspect that you're talking about. People can really kind of customize it in their own way. It's super easy to assemble, certainly easier to assemble than other, you know, furniture companies that will remain nameless because they're not sponsoring the show. But no, it's it's a really, it's a really nice chair. Do you plan on like developing that into, into other types of furniture? Yes. So that specific idea I have about, I have spun it off into like 10 ideas. I think I've, so when I say spinning it off is the, the seat part, I've come up with like 10 different ideas with the backrest slightly changing. So I have the one called the Maasai chair, which has a slightly different backrest. There's the original birthing chair. There are others that I'm doing like that. So this this is the part I really enjoy about once you prototype and see how it works, how you could easily progress into other you know, designs. So the chair, I have a table that, that complements that. And I'm hoping that, uh, that there is also a sketch that I did on lampshades and all related to this. So, so in a way, the, the, the whole line idea where, yes, if you just want to buy one stool because you need that accent piece, that's okay. But if you're one of those guys who says, I want my whole living room to have that feel, you know, of the African furniture, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the Black Panther movie preview and I'm looking at the setting and I say, mm. hey, I want, I want that feel in my living room. That's what I want to give you. I don't, that's totally a little bit off the the side (laughs) in our discussion, but you know, you want to give that experience. Uh, So, but that comes from, you do one thing well, then you work on the complementary things based Mm -hmm. on that. And uh, suddenly you have a whole catalog of things. Do you have like a dream project that you would like to do? I mean, I know, of course, doing this right now is your dream, but is there a certain type of project that you would love to undertake? I mean, definitely. I mean, I would love to do a boutique hotel if things uh, work out. Mm. You know, every now and then when I travel and I walk into a hotel, I can just visually populate that room with things I'm thinking. Of course, who would hate uh, to do uh, a residence where, you know, you collaborate with an interior designer that has the same vision as you to make it. One thing I've looked because a CBS producer contacted me once is you know doing staging for theaters and uh, movie shots where they need always need furniture pieces to set these things up and i've never even thought about this until this person uh, through a a mutual friend contacted me and saying we're doing a a tv series where we need the setting to be like african Mm -hmm. and can you loan us the furniture i'm saying sure why wouldn't i you know, but, but that's uh, where the licensing comes in, right? Because you don't want to just give it out for free. No, but for at least for TV staging, you can you always use it as promotion for yourself. So it, it depends what kind of relationship you create with them. But licensing wise, the, uh, the I'm glad you mentioned licensing because really for most designers that are product designers or furniture designers, I, I really believe you have to have this licensing thing resolved. That is where your some of your income will come. That is where your promotion and marketing will come. Me as a small designer going to design festivals and all is great, but there is a limit to that because technology-wise, manufacturing-wise, trying to break into markets, the, the guys who know it are the guys who've been doing this every year and know how to do it. So having a licensing partner is great. And I, and I think that the reason I really work hard on making my portfolio robust is to make these licensing companies, most of them are furniture manufacturers, to think there is opportunity here. This is unique. This is not the same thing I've been doing every year and I've been complaining to myself, it's not selling. Why? Mm. Because a hundred other companies are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It looks the same. I mean, I don't know why people expect, you can't even tell them apart sometimes. So I'm hoping that I can have some of my stuff licensed out so I don't have to worry about the marketing and everything that needs to be done and the manufacturing. Some I would like to keep within my wing close to my chest and just keep working on it and get it out that way. So, yeah, this, you know, my dreams could keep me up all night awake because one day I'll say, oh, wow, it would be cool to have a gallery. Another day I'll say, okay, you're going too far. Just put it online. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but th- these are, like, I think, 
best case scenarios. I, I might have forgotten a few here and there, but th- these are the things I I just look forward to and think about a lot. Yeah. What do you want to accomplish in 2018? 2018 really is figuring out fabrication. Uh, I actually have a meeting next week with one here in Richmond. I am dealing with two other companies, and this is strictly I pay, they build for me, and there's no licensing. I'm preparing a lookbook to looking into licensing, and that's the thing I slightly mentioned earlier. Uh, where I'm working with a company trying to get my portfolio ready so it could be reviewed by companies. I've been contacting few companies that I've really liked through the design shows that I've attended. There's a couple of very exciting shows that I'll be doing. I just cannot talk about it now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that I'm, I really look forward. One is in Africa, one is in Europe. That's as close as I can get to it. And those are my two solo shows. And it will be my my first ever doing this at that level because it would be more of a gallery type of event but i need to get a lot of things done before i get there so i'm hoping all of these things materialize in 2018 and i start selling right now i do have a couple of companies who are ready to start taking my chairs it's just that i i have not gotten to that stage where i can say i have the amount you need take them Uh, Because fabrication needs to be resolved. And I'm trying to do fabrication at the moment here and um, dealing with one person out of trying to see if we can do this out of Rwanda for some of the the stools I'm working on. Uh, But that's still up in the air and we'll see if that works. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to kind of follow in your footsteps? Like for anyone out there that's listening, any up and coming industrial designers or furniture designers, what would you tell them? Definitely use your time wisely. (laughs) Uh, be a hard worker. There's nothing like developing your portfolio, going back and working on it. Be a people person. Go meet people, talk to people, uh, email them. It's okay if they ignore you. I've been ignored so many times. It's like in my blood. It (laughs) It doesn't bother me. There are a few that bother me, but it's okay. You know what? If I don't try, it's like the the person from ICFF I talked to in Dubai. If Uh I didn't have the guts to say that, would she offer us the floor space for free? No. Mm. So, but I mean, try to be as friendly and as workable of a person you can be, but make your point too. I, like I'm telling you, I'm not ashamed to actually be blunt about saying you're ignoring African style furniture. I know it might offend you, but it's the truth. Yeah. I'm not saying it to offend you. I'm saying you're missing a huge opportunity. Yeah. But at the same time, I try to do the convincing part, the, the teaching part, you know, why I say that. I'm not saying that to, you know, offend your intelligence or anything. I'm just telling you the market reality and that there is huge opportunity for me, for the people I'll hire in the future, for an industry that could blossom. And it could be not the, the five or 10 designers I'm talking about, but having a, a whole bunch of designers coming up with new unique ideas you know and making us proud of our culture there's no reason to always just gravitate to the other ones but as a designer as a young designer use your time wisely build your portfolio rework your portfolio these days you have amazing tools not to have a decent portfolio i grew up with only sketching i did my very first 3d my senior year And you don't even want to see that 3D that I did. (laughs) That's how how bad it was. But, you know, machines were slow. It took a whole day to render one frame. Now people are doing animations left and right. Get into these shops that you could, you know, the the tech shop I'm telling you, I think I pay $150 a month to be a member, have access to CNC machines, things Mm -hmm. that I never had, you know, before. There is laser cutting. There is so many different type of you know 3D printing, which I have not even gotten into because of time, not because I don't like it. Yeah. But if you have all these tools and you have these creative ideas, bring them to life. Then look into these opportunities where you can, you know, the design festival, the design competitions. Google is your friend. Use it. You know, find it, use it, be, send your resumes, get in it and do it. And within a few years, you'll see what you've invested paying back. 
Well, Jomo, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work? Like, where can they see your work online? Best place is Instagram, Jomo Furniture. I do update my webpage, but not as often. That would be jomofurniture.com. My Facebook has uh, <laughs> has fallen down on me. I have gotten so much impact out of Instagram. I rarely update my Facebook, but we can do that too. All right. Sounds good. Well, Jomo Tarku, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing. I, I think what was really important, and I hope that this is what people will get out of this work, is something that I really tried to hopefully get across to people when I started Revision Path is that it's really a, a gift to be able to use your heritage as a design source and an inspiration. You know, I, I talked to so many designers on here, some that have went to, you know, formal design schools, some that haven't. And the mm. problem that can kind of end up happening is that we end up imitating a mm. lot of what we see from, you know, not from our culture, not from our cultural sources. And instead of doing that imitation, we should be doing innovation, which is using our culture and using the things that are important to us as ways to, to uh, build things that can really make an impact in this world. And I'm really glad to see that your work is, is worldwide, like it's getting out there. And I certainly think that after this, it'll be getting out there even more. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing what you do. I appreciate sure. it. Thank, and I really want to say thank you to Maurice, you and this platform um, you've labeled Revision Path. It's a great opportunity for me to share my experience. And I am loving just following all the other um, casts that you have had on your shows and uh, please keep it up we need it Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week big thanks to Jomo Tariku and thanks to you for listening you can find out more about Jomo and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com also thanks as always to our sponsors Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design MailChimp and SiteGround Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Facebook isn't just one product or one type of design problem, though. Their work transforms a number of industries from advertising, news and media, local business, video, and of course, messaging. No other company designs at a massive scale like they do. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, I know if you're a designer and you heard me earlier talking about apps and bots and open source licensing and all that stuff, you might be thinking, is Glitch for me? And the answer is yes, it's for you. It's for designers too. You know, too many coding tools put up barriers to creativity with a lot of complicated setup and features. Glitch lets you get started with absolutely no hassle at all. So what will you create today? Get started at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. They've got different hosting platforms to suit every need, including managed WordPress hosting on all plans. Trust me, SiteGround will not let you down. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and next, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two, and it really helps the show out, not just by bumping us up in the rankings here in the U.S., but for design podcasts worldwide. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, 
a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.